The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, 10 a.m. here at CNBC in London. And here's your top five at five. Markets set to wrap a July to remember. The major indices all looking at solid gains for the month. And more look to be on the way today. Futures are pointing high. Apple beating on the top and bottom lines with its latest results as the iPhone maker signals strong days ahead despite what it calls pockets of softness. A rosy outlook from fellow tech giant Amazon, its shares taking off as CEO Andy Jassy signals progress in tackling costs amid inflationary pressures. Chip boosts Congress signing off on a key bill aimed at throwing support behind the U.S. semi-industry and taking on China in the process. And the cost of sending a tweet about to become more expensive. Twitter looking to hike the price on its subscription model. It is Friday, July 29th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. A very good morning to you. I'm Wilfred Frost in for Brian Sullivan uh, this morning. Uh, Let's kick off uh, the hour with a check on markets uh, and your money on this final trading day of the month. Right now, futures are pointing Uh, to a positive uh, open uh, led higher by uh, the Nasdaq to the tune of about 129 points, as you can see. Uh, That's about a percent or so uh, higher. We've got about uh, 0.6% higher in the pre-market for the S&P, and uh, as you can see, about 62 points or a quarter of a percent um, for the Dow. And of course, it comes uh, off a uh, strong week for markets. The Nasdaq is up about 2.8%, as is the S&P, and a strong month. The Nasdaq's about 10%, uh, the Dow about 5.7%, with the S&P 500 uh, somewhere uh, in between. Uh, of course, comes following big declines uh, early parts of the year. Uh, nonetheless, a uh, very strong rebound in July this week, uh, adding to it. Uh, let's check in on the bond market. The 10-year yield pulled back significantly uh, yesterday. We're trading uh, at around 2.7, 2. Uh, yeah, 2.71% on the 10-year. Did touch 2.65 yesterday. Extraordinary moves. Uh, and that uh, yield curve inversion, particularly between the twos, tens, uh, continues. Oil markets, uh, we've got uh, WTI uh, just under the $100 uh, mark, but set to break a three-week losing streak this week. It's up 2% today, close to 4%. Uh, for the week uh, and trading at 98.35 Brent uh, at 109. Uh, OPEC ministers are set to convene next week, so we'll see uh, if that can uh, continue this uh, momentum the oil market has seen this week at least. Two big uh, stock stories we're watching this morning. First up, Apple shares climbing on the back of better than expected third quarter results, but the tech giant showing signs of slowing growth amid softening demand for smartphones and computers. CEO Tim Cook telling our Steve Kovac, that uh, Apple expects revenue to accelerate this quarter despite seeing pockets of softness. The stock right now is up 2.4%. iPhone was pretty strong. Uh, Macs and iPads a little weak. We'll dive into that, uh, of course, throughout the next uh, hour. Also watching shares of Amazon. Shares surging on the back of its better-than-expected revenue in the second quarter uh, and an optimistic outlook for the current quarter. Amazon's core e-commerce business continuing to face challenges as online sales pull back 
from pandemic highs, uh, but uh, less bad than Walmart, less bad than Shopify. Uh, and we also saw uh, AWS uh, do very well indeed, uh, up 11.6% there for uh, Amazon. Uh, we'll have much more on those results as well as Apple's throughout the show today. Uh, but first of all, we've got some breaking news just crossed in the last minute or so uh, here in London. Uh, and we'll send it over to Rosanna Lockwood for that. Rosanna. Great to have you in the studio here in London, Will. Thanks so much. Yeah, we do have some serious economic data breaking across the wires for the euro area this morning. GDP preliminary for the second quarter. Of course, comparing this to what you saw stateside yesterday. This morning, we've had a 0.7% preliminary figure in for the second quarter. GDP for the entire euro area that actually beat expectations. It was 0.6% growth in the first quarter. We were expecting 0.2% in the second quarter. So we've actually beat that. It's not firmly an expansion territory, but it is something of an expansion. So we are not getting that technical recession, of course, here in the Eurozone area. The other key economic data that's just broken across the wires is this inflation data, these flash figures for the Eurozone area. That much at expectations. We're expecting a figure around 9% for the second quarter for this flash inflation data. We've had it in at 8.9%. We are, of course, seeing rip-roaring inflation throughout the whole area. Of course, Europe is very, very different when it comes to a collection of countries. You're seeing inflation up at around 20% in some countries across Europe, much lower in other parts. We've also had preliminary Q2 GDP data for different countries, and it's a very different picture. Germany's economy absolutely stagnating on the flat line so far for that second quarter. Italy beating expectations, expanding by around 0.1%. You look at euro dollar, we're just keeping at uh, 1.02 mark. Wilf? And Rosanna, we're just mentioning, I mean, clearly, as you mentioned, they're not that technical recession here in, in Europe yet. Uh, what about the July bounce back in terms of uh, performance for the markets? Just mentioned there, Nasdaq's up 10%. Has it been as good for Europe and Asia? It certainly has. Well, certainly here in Europe. You're looking at the first. We're heading towards in this session so far. Positive month in four for many of these Europe indices. The broad stock, Europe stock 600, in fact, up around a percent this morning in trade. We've had very strong earnings across the board. The FTSE 100 up six tenths of a percent. Cat Cahant, particularly in France, one to watch out for. Very strong earnings from companies like L'Oreal, luxury retailers, LVMH, Hermes as well, and uh, Airbus as well. So Cat Cahant up 1.4 percent. Germany as well, holding up three quarters of a percent. Wilfred also mentioned Asia there. It's been a troppy sort of session in Asia trade, of course, regulatory concerns overhanging the mainland China markets this morning as well. That has fed on a little bit into a bit of a mixed picture. Of course, China dominates supply chain concerns, as we've already discussed, and that has impacted a lot of the earnings at the companies across the board. But on a pure equities basis, there is certainly positivity, Wilfred, this morning, and there has been this month. It could close out in this last trading day of the month, very positive indeed for Europe. Rosanna, thanks so much uh, for that uh, breakdown of uh, the GDP and inflation picture here in Europe. Uh, let's get a check in on some of your morning's top stories stateside. Contessa Brewer is here with those for us. Uh, very good morning to you, Contessa. Hi, Wilfred. Nice to see you. Uh, so the House just passed a reconciliation bill to boost the country's competitiveness easy for me to say, competitiveness in the semiconductor industry, voted by uh, 24 to 187. 24 Republicans voted for that legislation, despite GOP leaders calling to oppose it. It includes $52 billion to support domestic semiconductor manufacturing and science research in a bid to take on China's dominance in the sector. The Senate had already voted to approve that, so now it goes to President Biden for his signature. And Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping apparently are planning to meet face to face. A senior U.S. official briefed reporters following the leader's marathon phone call yesterday and said Biden and Xi discussed their team setting up the in-person sit down 
toward the end of the conversation. China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs did not immediately respond to a request for comment by CNBC. And U.S. regulators are ordering crypto broker and lender Voyager Digital to stop making claims to customers about being insured by the FDIC. A joint letter from the Federal Reserve and FDIC demanded Voyager cease any statements on its website and elsewhere that its customers' funds would be protected in case of the company's failure. Voyager filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection earlier this month. The Fed and FDIC warned they may still take further action if needed, but didn't elaborate what that is exactly. We wait and watch. Wilfred. And Tessa, thank you so much. See you again uh, shortly. Uh, the market's poised to lock in a second straight week of gains, with stocks continuing to extend post-Fed meeting uh, and earnings gains this week. The Dow up nearly 2% uh, so far for the week. S&P Nasdaq up about 2.8%. Uh, and we are pointed to a decent open uh, as well today. Futures uh, for the Nasdaq up a full percent. For more on whether this momentum will carry over into August, uh, let's bring in Luca Paolini, uh, Paolini, excuse me, chief strategist at uh, Pictet. Uh, Luca, clearly, as we've just been summarizing, it's been a, a strong bounce. I think for July as a whole, we're looking at uh, over 10% of gains for uh, the NASDAQ. Do you buy the bounce here? Well, we're still skeptical because uh, we are just at the beginning of a recession. Earnings are still at an all-time high, and so we expect earnings to be downgraded quite significantly. Yes, there is an upside coming from falling inflation. Falling inflation should make valuation more attractive for equities. But overall, we haven't seen even the beginning of the recession. And so I think there is more bad news to come. And the earnings season, in a way, is a mixed bag of numbers. So I, I don't think we have to be celebrating right now, but to be actually more on the cautious side. Well, one factor perhaps we haven't mentioned enough uh, for for a reason for a rally this week in the, in the U.S. is more fiscal stimulus, whether it's the CHIPS bill uh, or whether the, the sort of amended Build Back Better plan to, to come. Uh, can that significantly offset the threat of recession in the U.S. or at least make it muted if, if it really does materialize? No, I don't think so. I think that the rally that we are seeing is mainly coming from the fact that sentiment was so depressed. Let's not forget that the first part of the year, if you look at a 50% equities, 50% bond, 50% bond portfolio has been the worst in 100 years. So the sentiment uh, was so depressed that actually created the precondition for this rally. I don't think that the fiscal stimulus in the U.S. will make a big difference. What the market is actually looking at is the Federal Reserve's bond yields, and we are seeing the peak in bond yields being pretty much the same with the low in equity market. And I think this trend will, will probably continue. Uh, we just talked about some uh, European GDP figures, better than expected for some nations uh, and better than the U.S., of course. But the outlook for the second half of the year, not particularly positive. Do you think a, a major recession in Europe, if it materializes, can derail sentiment for U.S. equities? Yes, I think so. I think, look, the, the good news here is that we are all expecting a recession in Europe. We know the situation. Inflation is growing through the roof. Interest rates are going up. Gas prices. Uh, the, the general uh, sentiment here is pretty horrendous. So I think that uh, I don't think it's going to be a very deep recession, but clearly Europe is uh, in a much worse position than the U.S. in terms of there is much less flexibility in terms of monitoring fiscal policy. And there is also this issue, the political risk, they always resurface in this kind of situation. And I think now we see, obviously, uh, the political risk in Italy. So I think, look, we are going to see a recession in Europe. I don't think it's going to be terrible, but yes, it's going to have an impact 
on global markets and also in the U.S. Luca, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Much appreciated. Thank you. When we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, uh, your morning money big movers and shares of Intel are taking it on the chin on the back of its latest earnings down 9.3%. We'll dive into those numbers, plus more on the results of Apple and Amazon, both moving higher. Amazon comfortably so. We will uh, break down why as Nasdaq futures rise 1% in the pre-market. Uh, later, the rising uh, impact of rates on banks. Our Leslie Picker lays out the big winners in the financial sector as the Fed looks to tighten its policy. A very busy hour still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Don't go anywhere. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org money tools The busiest week of uh, earnings season wraps up today with second quarter results from Chevron and Exxon, both out before the opening bell about 8 a.m. Uh, they are expected to post record profits on higher oil prices and gas prices as strong refining margins also play through, uh, reflecting, of course, global fuel shortages and big demand. Now, while energy prices have come off their highs from June, the sector's still up 35 percent this year and is by far the best performer in the S&P and uh, oil prices have uh, bounced this week, breaking a three-week losing streak and uh, the energy sector within the S&P has benefited as a result. Uh, let's bring in Janine uh, Y, Senior U.S. Integrated Oil Analyst at Barclays. Uh, ahead of these results, I mean, are uh, expectations too high once again? Just it's been a positive week uh, after that pullback we had over the prior couple of weeks. Thanks for having Barclays. Um, you know, you, you bring up a good point with the sector doing well. Uh, the, the stocks, they have more expectations in them than they used to. So we think that expectations for Exxon, they're running rather high into the print. And it's exactly what you said. The stock is up 50% year to date. Positioning is very positive on it. Um, you know, we're about around consensus for EPS at 399. We think that the buy side is actually higher than that. So the pressure is on. Uh, and in terms of uh, the numbers that we're expecting, aside from the earnings, you're also quite focused on, on possible buyback announcements. Yes, I think cash returns are definitely a driver of stock performance in the sector. Um, and the companies, they appear to be wanting to up the ante on themselves all the time because investors are demanding it. So, you know, we think that between Chevron and Exxon, um, with Exxon, they just tripled their buyback announcement last quarter, going from 10 billion all the way to 30 billion. So we're not expecting that they're necessarily going to move that guidance point again, but we could hear some commentary about whether there would be some acceleration in that 30 billion. 
For Chevron, we do anticipate that they will raise the bottom end of their buyback guidance, which is currently five to 10 billion. Maybe it's eight to 10, maybe it's nine to 10, we're not sure. We're already modeling about 10 billion of buybacks for the year. And we think that the market is also expecting at the top end at 10 billion. So again, the bar is very high. It's really interesting, this focus on buybacks when, when the stock's up 50% or, or so uh, year to date. And uh, it, it brings up a point, which is, these stocks are still cheap relative to the S&P 500 and, and some other sectors. But actually, you compare them to some of the names over here where there's, I guess, some, some reasonable comparisons uh, in their business models in a way that doesn't apply in all sorts of other industries where the U.S. crushes uh, us here in, in, in Europe. But are they cheap enough to be focusing so heavily on buybacks? We think so. Um, you know, I think that the companies are making a lot of money now because oil prices are constructive, because they've embarked on this whole capital discipline endeavor. But let's not forget that, you know, this sector had years and years of underperformance. It was the worst performing sector for a number of years. Uh, we think the valuations still have upside for Chevron and Exxon. We think there's about 20 to 30 percent upside to our price targets right now. And if you look at energy in general, um, on the on the upstream side in the U.S., we calculate that it's pricing in about $60 WTI, and that's a 30% discount to the forward curve. So there's still a lot of value there in energy. And, and just quickly, Janine, clearly they're hedged in terms of the inflation we're seeing because oil prices have been, have been rising as well. What about on their cost side? Are they insulated somewhat from the inflation out there? Well, I, we don't think anybody's insulated from inflationary pressures. All of our catch-up calls would suggest that the earnings so year-to-date have suggested that inflation is running really high. But there will be winners and losers in inflation. And we think Chevron and Exxon, having hugely diversified portfolios, tremendous scale, and competitive contracting strategy, we think they're going to be among the relative winners. But they're not immune. Janine, thanks so much uh, for joining me this morning. Very much appreciated. Janine Wei of Barclays. On a programming note, Exxon CEO Darren Woods will be on Squawkbox this morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you don't want to miss that. Just uh, moments after the earnings cross ahead of the analyst call. Still on deck, your morning's uh, big money movers uh, and one stay-at-home placing shares collapse ahead of the open. That name coming up next. And tonight, be sure to tune in to the CNBC special, The Tech Trade, hosted by Deirdre Bosa, a deep dive into the mega cap message and uh, what earnings from the likes of Apple, Amazon, Alphabet and Microsoft mean for the market. Uh, the featured guest, ARK Invest CEO, Kathy Wood, tonight, 6 Eastern. We will be back here on Worldwide Exchange in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.
Welcome back. Uh, time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. Uh, first up, Five9, the provider of cloud software for call centers, reporting better than expected second quarter results. Sales hitting a record high thanks to growth in subscription revenue. The company also guiding third quarter and full year earnings uh, uh, above analyst estimates and it's up 10% in the pre-market. Stock number two, moving the other way, Intel, the chipmaker posting a surprise second quarter loss uh, as sales fell more than 20%. Intel cutting its outlook for the year, blaming a rapid decline in economic activity, the slump in purchases of PCs and product delays. The company is forecasting a 10% drop in total PC sales this year. It's down 9% in the pre-market, 30% so far year to date. Lots of questions for the CEO, Pat Gelsinger, who will be on Tech Check today in a CNBC first on interview 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Stock 3, Roku shares are tanking down about 25% in the pre-market. Second quarter numbers falling well short of analyst forecasts and third quarter revenue uh, guidance also significantly below estimates. Roku says a slowdown in ad spending weighed on their results. It expects that to continue in the second half of the year and a pullback in consumers' discretionary spending uh, also uh, pressuring their Roku TV and uh, uh, also their speaker systems down 25%. This morning in the pre-market, 72% year-to-date. Let's check in on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in the New York studio with the latest. Francis. Well, good morning. We begin on this Friday with deadly storms across Appalachia. In Kentucky, Governor Andy Bashir has declared a state of emergency. Torrential rains have caused mass flash flooding and destruction and is to blame for as many as eight deaths, with authorities expecting that number to rise into the double digits. In southwest Virginia, heavy rainfall caused flash flooding, prompting evacuations. Governor Glenn Youngkin declared a state of emergency. Residents of some assisted living facilities in one town needed to be rescued from the high waters. After criticism for failing to investigate the abuse claims against former USA Gymnastics doctor Larry Nasser, the FBI could be looking to settle the $1 billion lawsuit. According to the New York Times, the agency is interested in reaching a resolution which could include a settlement. NBC News has not seen or authenticated the letter the Times says was sent to the lawyers of women who have sued the FBI. Back in June, more than 90 women filed a civil suit after the DOJ DOJ failed to prosecute two former agents who are accused of bungling the investigation. The Mega Millions lottery is reaching fever pitch tonight. The jackpot now sits at over $1.1 billion, now the second largest prize in Mega Millions history. No one has hit the jackpot since mid-April, and there's still time to grab a ticket. The Mega Millions drawing is at 11 p.m. Eastern, so somebody could have a very good weekend, a life-changing weekend for them. Well, we send it back to you. It certainly would. Uh, you joined the billionaire club, at least pre-tax, but, but nonetheless, uh, it would be a decent, uh, decent win. Francis, thanks so much. Sure. Uh, still on deck, uh, Instacart apparently looking to test the frigid IPO waters. New details on when the highly watched delivery service may make its debut on public markets. And a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. Uh, if you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can catch up anytime, wherever you get your podcasts. As we go to break, we are up uh, a full percent in the Nasdaq futures. Uh, about half a percent on the S&P. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Stocks looking to lock in back-to-back weekly wins and close out what's been a solid month of gains. More maybe ahead. Futures pointing higher this morning. Some of those gains coming on the back of Apple's latest earnings. The tech giant navigating growing headwinds to top expectations. But can the iPhone maker 
keep the momentum moving. A similar story for shares of Amazon, seeing even bigger gains following its results with the e-commerce giant CEO signaling continued strength ahead. It is Friday, July 29th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning to you once again. Uh, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Wilfred Frost in for Brian Sullivan. Uh, let's uh, have a little look uh, at what markets are doing right now. Stock futures pointing uh, higher. The futures on the Nasdaq uh, higher by almost a full, in fact, just over a full percent. The S&P futures up by 0.6 percent uh, and the Dow up about two tenths of a percent or, uh, uh, as you can see, uh, about 45 points and coming off the back of a couple of strong days uh, of numbers as well. The S&P and Nasdaq up nearly 3 percent coming into today and both up strongly for the month uh, as a whole. The Dow's up about 5.5% for the month of July, S&P 7.5%. The Nasdaq is up more than 10% so far uh, this month. Let's also check in on the bond market. The 10-year yield continuing to pull back. Yesterday it hit about 265 at the low of the session. Uh, it is around uh, 2.71 this morning. As you can see, the 2s, 10s uh, continues to be inverted. The 2-year yield higher than the 10 at 2.9%, just shy of that level. Oil prices are rebounding this week, uh, set to break what was a three-week losing streak for WTI. It's still under $100, uh, but has gained 3.5% uh, this week. It's gaining another 2% or so uh, uh, today itself, 98.5 for WTI. Brent's up at uh, nearly 110 again, 109. Uh, again, uh, of course, we've seen energy prices pull back for the early part of July, but bounce this week. And uh, the energy sector on the S&P, the best performing sector so far this week. Because of that, there is an OPEC meeting next week to keep an eye on headlines from that as to whether this momentum, this uh, latter part of the week can continue. Now to your big money movers. Apple beating Wall Street expectations on revenue and profit. The company expecting continued growth into the fourth quarter despite ongoing supply chain and inflation concerns as well as headwinds in China due to major COVID restrictions. Apple shares trading higher this morning. Uh, let's talk about this with Scott Kessler, global sector lead in telcos, media and tech at Thirdbridge. Very good morning to you, Scott. Great to see you again. Um, I mean, first take is, are you pretty impressed with the iPhone print in, in this quarterly results? Yeah, thanks a lot, Wolf. Look, I think um, this is kind of a sigh of relief quarter, it seems like, for Apple. Um, you're right that this is an iPhone phone company still and iPhone revenues were better than anticipated. I think a lot of people anticipated that the company would disappoint, especially ahead of uh, an expected iPhone 14 release. Um, and so the company being led by iPhone um, performed better than expected in the quarter. So does that mean if a recession comes and, and, and is harder than expected in the US, there's still the iPhone print to tail off, or, or does it just show resilience of the iPhone earnings almost no matter what? Yeah, you know, it was surprising to me the extent to which the company seemed to indicate that they weren't really seeing the impacts of the uncertain or recessionary economic environment in terms of demand. I think a lot of people anticipated uh, that Apple would be a lot more impacted and a lot more conservative in terms of how they talked about that. Um, but clearly the fact that they didn't provide forward guidance, and we don't really have a sense at this point uh, of how their fiscal first quarter is shaping up. That's the December quarter. The holiday shopping season uh, is obviously critical. Uh, but people probably should be encouraged uh, by hearing some of the positives coming out of the quarter, particularly the fact that uh, demand seems pretty resilient, notwithstanding some issues related to uh, consumer sentiment and spending. 
Uh, in terms of the overall valuation, I mean, revenue growth was only 2% year over year, and in fact, earnings declined year over year. D does that justify an over 20 PE? What, what PE do you have it on on your numbers? Yeah, look, I mean, we focus on the fundamentals uh, when we're talking about things at Third Bridge. And, and what I would say is that um, the size uh, of the revenue base, the diversification uh, of the business mix, and I think as we were just talking about, the resiliency of the brand and the performance, I think should probably give investors um, a lot of confidence, frankly, which is something that not a lot of people um, probably felt when they considered Apple and a lot of other similarly situated companies over the last couple of months. Uh, okay, wildcard question for you, Scott. I mean, clearly they've got a, a massive war chest, a, a massive cash balance on, on, on the balance sheet, and a lot of tech companies uh, have declined sharply, much more than they have uh, so far year to date. Should they be considering buying someone even as big as Netflix? Wow. Yeah, look, I mean, those conversations will come and go. Um, I'd point out, I think they spent $28 billion buying their own stock in the quarter, um, a quarter during which um, the stock fell 20%. So it seems like they see value there. Um, Apple is a company that uh, historically has not done a lot of larger deals, and frankly, the larger deals that they have done uh, haven't been particularly well-received or executed upon, uh, according to many. So while it could make sense for the company to make a move, given uh, the current environment, past, if its prologue would suggest they're going to stick to their knitting, continue to invest uh, in R&D, uh, and buy back their own shares. Scott Kessler, thanks so much uh, for joining me this morning. Apple is up 2.3% uh, in the pre-market, uh, which, of course, is a big move for a company of its size, helping the Nasdaq futures and the Dow uh, to be higher in the pre-market. But it's a small move relative to what Amazon is doing this morning. Uh, it is up uh, over 10%, 13% in uh, the pre-market trade, 12.3%. I've uh, overstated a little bit there. Um, revenue uh, was better than expected for the second quarter, despite worries about continued inflationary pressures and higher costs. Uh, the CEO, Andy Jassy, told shareholders Amazon's making progress in the productivity of its fulfillment network, the company issuing positive guidance for the third quarter. Uh, let's discuss this uh, further with uh, Arun Sundaram, analyst at CFRA. Um, Arun, let's talk about the retail side of their business, first of all, if we can. And uh, quite a big difference here compared to lowered expectations following Shopify and Walmart. Yeah, it was you know, actually pleasantly surprising. I think a lot of people were really worried about the top line this quarter. You know, they, they came in at $121 billion and, and it was above expectations of $119 billion for, the, for their entire business. And I think uh, the retail business did show a lot of resilience. You know, we, we, we were worried about you know, major inventory write-downs, the, the kind of things we're seeing with other retailers right now, Walmart, Target. Uh, but it seems like uh, Amazon is not facing similar pressure like like a Walmart and Target. Um, so that was a major positive there. And I think one of the reasons why is, you know, maybe their customer base is a little bit more of that, the affluent customer base I mean, relative to uh, a, a Walmart or a Target. And another thing is that Amazon can really rely on their third-party sellers, which they did this past quarter. If you, if you look at their entire mix of units sold, Third parties comprise of 57% of, of their total unit mix, which is the highest on Amazon's record. So they do have that whole side as well, which I think can alleviate some of their own inventory problems.
Let's dive into the uh, cloud business a bit more, AWS. I mean, clearly, uh, decent, decent numbers there. It seems to be both growing and high margin. It's a sort of mature yet growing business. Why are they doing so well there? I mean, better than their rivals like Google. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why they're the clear market share leader in cloud. You know, they're, they're, it's also, you know, this, this quarter cloud grew at 33%. Uh, operating margins in, in cloud did come down a little bit from Q1. It was, it was at 29% this quarter versus 35% in Q1. I think a lot of that has to do with the step up in stock-based compensation. They're, they've been hiring a lot of engineers, workers there. But yeah, that, that, that business is, AWS isn't recession-proof, but we think it is recession-resilient. And I think that's what we kind of saw today, and especially given their outlook for Q3. Uh, there's no reason to really believe that the AWS momentum is slowing down anytime soon. Um, talk us through your call on the stock, because I know you've got to buy, but, but you did lower the price target recently. What are your thoughts at the moment? So we actually, um, last night, we, we did raise our price target from $162 to $175. Uh, and, and, and the main reason why is, you know, we, a, a lot of the fears that, that we were, you know, uh, that we had coming into Q2, a, a lot of those fears did get, did get alleviated. Uh, the inventory issue, that was one thing that, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't have to really worry about that much. And we really saw some strong top-line growth within all parts of this business. You know, e-commerce did well, their physical stores did well, subscription growth did well. Advertising, which is something we haven't really talked about that much, did really well. You know, advertising grew 18% this quarter. Advertising is now growing at a 35 billion, or is running at a $35 billion run rate in revenues. And if you look at the, the margins on advertising, it's probably north of 50%. You know, so you have this very lucrative AWS business growing at around 30% operating margins, advertising north of 50% operating margins. There's really, you know, a lot of uh, uh, optimistic uh, things to look at if you're looking at if you're looking at um, Amazon's profitability down the road. And going into the second half of this year, we think a lot of the cost pressures that Amazon has been experiencing over the past year, those cost pressures will, I think, start to alleviate. We already saw that happen in Q2. I think, you know, especially when we get to the second half of the year, the, the comps will be a lot easier. They'll be lapping a lot of elevated supply chain costs, wage pressures from last year. So the outlook for the second half of the year does look mm -hmm. a, a bit more promising. Arun, thanks so much for joining me. Very much appreciated. Arun Sundaran uh, there from CFRA. On a programming note, uh, don't miss a CNBC special tonight, the Tech Trade. Uh, the featured guest is ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood. It's a CNBC exclusive with Deirdre Bosa, 6 p.m. Eastern time. You don't want to miss that. Let's get a check-in on some of your morning's uh, other top stories now. Contessa Brewer has those for us. Hey, Contessa. Hi, Will. The Biden administration apparently is giving a yellow light on expanding second COVID booster shots to Americans. New formulations from Pfizer and Moderna are coming in September, aimed at targeting a dominant Omicron subvariant. And the White House reportedly wants to wait for those new shots before urging more people to get another booster. All adults are expected to be eligible for the new boosters, and children may be eligible as well. Right now, only people 50 and older and immunocompromised people older than 12 are eligible for that second booster. Instacart reportedly is planning to go public before the end of the year. According to The Wall Street Journal, Instacart is considering a traditional IPO after previously leaning toward going public via a direct listing. The company filed to go public earlier this year just as the market sell-off began. The Journal reports Instacart's bankers have also started to approach investors for so-called testing the waters meetings. 
Twitter is telling its customers they'll pay more for its premium subscription service. The price for Twitter Blue will go from $3 to 5 a little more than eight months after the service made its debut in the U.S. and New Zealand. That service allows subscribers to pay for features like the ability to undo a tweet and read ad-free news articles. New subscribers will pay the higher price immediately, with existing subscribers being charged the higher rate starting in October. You can see not much is really happening with the stock in the extended trade. Wilfred? Contessa, I think it's a very interesting service. Of course, as you pointed out, just they're not available here in the UK, so uh, I will continue to make errors in my tweets, and alas, they will remain there uh, for the time being. Maybe (laughs) they'll introduce it here soon. Yeah, me too. I'm... Yeah, it's, if you're cheap and you're not willing to pay the extra money, then you have to stick with your original mistake. Yeah, I, I'm willing to pay that 3 or $5 price uh, just to, to hide my errors. But uh, anyway, Contessa, thank you so much. Uh, have a wonderful uh, morning sure. and weekend, Contessa Brewer. They're coming up here on Worldwide Exchange. Call it a windfall from the Fed's uh, rate hike strategy. Leslie Picker lays out the banks set to benefit from the uh, central bank tightening its policy. Worldwide Exchange back in a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The Fed's continued tightening of its monetary policy proving to be a beneficial factor for the banking sector. But not every financial firm is reaping the rewards to the same scale, uh, with bigger not necessarily being better. Leslie Picker, CNBC's banking expert, joins us now to explain uh, and lay out who the winners are at the moment. Leslie, very good morning to you. Hey, Wilf. Good morning to you, too. As uh, Wells Fargo analyst Mike Mayo put it yesterday in a note, quote, higher rates are like oxygen that aid bank net interest income. The firm says that profitability metric, which stems largely from charging more for interest for loan making, should grow by almost a third year over year for the second half of 2022. But not all banks, as you mentioned, will benefit equally. This chart kind of explains it all. Take a look at the white line. Uh, It's coming up on your screen there. You can see kind of a breakout there. Uh, That's an ETF for the regional banks. The orange line is for larger ones, and you can see a clear divergence in performance going back to about March this year and really accelerating over the last month or so. Regional banks are positive over the last 12 months, while the bigger ones are down about 13%. The S&P is down about 7.5% during that time. As Mayo describes it, regional banks have led the way given more NII tailwinds and less of those Wall Street banking headwinds. The bigger diversified firms are much more heavily exposed to the recent slump in M&A and AUM fees have declined with the market volatility. Regional banks, on the other side, are seen as more of a pure play on the traditional business of loan making and deposit taking a simplicity than investors really like right now, Wilf. And, and Leslie, one of the other big factors, of course, that always influences the extent to which rate hikes benefit the banks is, is whether they are all fiercely competing for deposits and, and pushing up the deposit rates almost as quickly as, uh, as the loan rates go up. Are they, are they doing that yet or are they managing to, to enjoy most of, uh, of these rate hikes? They're managing to enjoy most of the rate hikes on the deposit side. We did see during the quarter most of their deposits did go higher. However, at this stage in the process, so many of those earnings for the bigger banks have been muddied by all of the other aspects of their business that are much more prone to recession concerns, uh, have to do more with CEO confidence in the current environment. For example, the C-suite, not so keen on you know signing new deals right now, just given the uncertainty out there 
Will the Fed ease next year? Should I wait to do some more financing in 2023? Maybe keep that, you know, to the side right now. All of those things impact the bigger banks. So regardless of kind of where they're at on their deposit betas, these are the types of things that are really weighing on their results. Leslie Picker, wonderful stuff. Thanks so much. Lovely to see you this morning. Uh, on deck, stocks looking to keep this month's solid gains going until the end. Our next guest says markets may not be out of the woods just yet when it comes to volatility. And if you haven't yet subscribed, do so please to our podcast. Worldwide Exchange uh, is available wherever you get your podcasts. As we stand, uh, we've got European markets strong. The stock 600 up 0.9%. Futures strong also. The Nasdaq in particular up about 1.2% in the pre-market. We'll be right back here on Worldwide Exchange. Welcome back. Uh, it may be Friday and the final trading day of the month, but that does not mean things are slowing down on Wall Street. On deck today, uh, we have uh, a CNBC uh, exclusive uh, interview with ExxonMobil CEO Darren Woods. Of course, they and Chevron are both reporting their earnings this morning. Also, uh, Pat Gelsinger, the uh, CEO of Intel, 11 a.m. Eastern, following their results, their shares down sharply in the pre-market. And then later today, 6 p.m., uh, a special on CNBC with ARK CEO's uh, Kathy Wood, ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood, never want to miss her, particularly on a week when there's been so many tech earnings. On the economic front, uh, look out for uh, personal income and spending data. That's at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time and core PCE at 9.45. We get the latest uh, read as well on Chicago PMI at 10 Eastern time. Uh, July consumer sentiment uh, also comes today. Uh, before the opening uh, bell, we get uh, earnings from Chevron and Exxon. Uh, and uh, also from Procter & Gamble. Don't want to miss any of those. 10 a.m. Eastern time is the time for the July consumer sentiment, just to clarify that. Uh, we're seeing big moves in three big tech stocks in the pre-market. As I just mentioned, Intel posting a surprise second quarter loss. The stock is down about 9% in the pre-market. Sales f fell 20%, and they cut their outlook for the year, blaming a rapid decline in economic activity. Uh, the slump in purchases of PCs and product delays the company forecasting a 10% drop uh, in total PC sales this year. All the more reason to watch Tech Check. The CEO will be with them today, 11 a.m. Eastern. Apple shares are climbing on the back of better-than-expected third-quarter results. The tech giant showing signs of slowing growth amid softening demand for smartphones and computers, but the results were better than expected. Uh, and smartphone really actually did hold up pretty well, even if iPad and Mac did decline. Uh, shares up 2.6% in the pre-market. Shares of Amazon surging on the back of its better-than-expected revenue in the second quarter and an optimistic outlook for the current quarter. Uh, core e-commerce business uh, did better uh, than some had feared following Shopify and Walmart's uh, disappointing numbers of late. The company's ad business was uh, strong, as was AWS, and it's up 12.2% uh, in the pre-market. And uh, that uh, and Apple helping the Nasdaq futures, which is up about 1.2%, uh, the Dow's up about 0.2%, and the S&P is up 0.7% in the pre-market. Let's discuss all of this. Lizzie Evans joins me. She's co-founder and managing partner uh, at Evans uh, May Wealth. She's also ranked number one on the Forbes Next Generation Wealth Advisor list for Indiana. Very good morning to you. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining me today, uh, Lizzie. Uh, are you surprised uh, how well the market has taken the challenges of this week, 75 basis point rate hike and uh, also uh, essentially a recession, depending on whose definition you're looking at. 
Well, good morning, Wilfred. I'm excited to be here. And gosh, this week has been a, an incredible week in the market. And really, July has been um, a welcome reprieve from a really uh, a brutal first first six months of the year. So, you know, I don't I don't think we can declare victory just yet. Really, to see a true um, a true bottom or a trough in risk assets, we need to see in a, a peak in inflation. So. We've seen um, some good earnings reports, but I, I don't think that we've really seen peak inflation. So, you know, I think that there's likely more to come. So I, I don't think we're out of the woods just yet, but um, so, please go ahead. Oh, sorry. I thought you, you'd finished. With the delay, I will keep going ahead rather than uh, <laughs> rather than going back and forth. So, so on, the, on the point of inflation, do you therefore think this dovish interpretation of the Fed this week is is the wrong interpretation. And in fact, we will see more tightening than expected still to come. It's a great question. You know, I think we'll, so we'll have two CPI PC prints before the next FMOC meeting. Uh, Powell's comments this week in that, you know, they're not going to provide clear guidance and they're going to be very data driven. Um, you know, I think that 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 what what does that really say? There's still a lot of uncertainty into exactly what that will mean. So I'm hopeful that that is a more dovish sentiment. But again, I, I don't think we can we can call that just yet. Uh, despite not thinking we're fully out of the woods yet, there's a couple of stocks you like in the U.S. Uh, good places to hide. I think you frame them as. Tell us about FedEx. Yeah, so so FedEx we like because um, you know if you think about companies that have secular tailwinds that should really help overcome some of the macroeconomic headwinds we're facing, FedEx is trading at a discount to its peers. It's forty two percent discount to UPS. Um, I, I I think of FedEx, uh, somewhat of the old FedEx and the new FedEx under the current CEO and the current leadership team. I think that FedEx will continue to benefit from really leveraging their pricing power, better, better, better efficiencies through their core services with ground transport, or I'm sorry, ground freight and express. And you, you heard it from UPS. There's a movement away from um, volume growth to really maximizing price, maximizing yield, which should ultimately help pro- help operating margins. So I think that we'll see the same out of FedEx. And I think that as you think about companies and really commerce moving from brick and mortar to e-commerce, um, you know, that really was uh, moved quickly through COVID. And I don't think that trend's going anywhere. Lizzie Evans, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We've got about 15, 20 seconds uh, left here on Worldwide Exchange. We are pointing to another positive open, uh, fantastic week it's been, or second half of the week at least. The Nasdaq's expected to open up 1.2%, the S&P up 0.7%, uh, and the Dow up 0.2% at the open, rounding off a positive week and a very positive month. Indeed, the uh, Nasdaq uh, is expected uh, to uh, finish uh, the uh, month up. Double digit digits up more than 10%. Futures pointing higher. That does it for Worldwide Exchange. Scorebox is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 